Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine and I'm here with my co-host Reese. Uh, We are recording this on Saturday, which is April Fool's Day, April 1st. Uh, You'll be hearing it for the first time on April the 2nd, Sunday, and again during the rebroadcast on Monday, April the 3rd. How's it going, Reese? It is going. Happy to be in April. March was long and um, <laughs> slightly tumultuous. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still happy to be here. You know, the year's flying by. I can't believe it is already April. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, moving quickly. They say that happens as you get a little older, though. Yeah, for sure. It's like I feel like you you feel like the calendar just starts whipping away in the wind, like. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. This this year is just kind of whizzing by, so. Yeah, let's hope towards better things, but we'll see. We will. We'll see. All right, so for this week, for the local news story, we're going to be talking about the NYPD uh, harassing 311 callers. Uh, for the world news, we'll be discussing a deadly stampede in Pakistan. Uh, the national news will be about um, an early end to the COVID-19 um, national emergency declaration. And for the good news, we have a human interest story about a landlord who became a caregiver for an elderly tenant. Uh, so I will start out with the local news segment. Uh, this is from Streets Blog, and it was written by Gersh Kuntzman, March 30th of this year. The title is Department of Investigation says cops did harass 311 callers, confirming Streets blog account. City investigators have concluded that members of the NYPD harassed two men who filed 311 complaints about illegal parking and other unsafe road conditions, harassment that Streets blog revealed in multiple exclusive stories last year. The conclusion of the Department of Investigation reached in February 2022, but only provided last month to Streets Blog via a Freedom of Information request, stems from extensive reporting in Streets Blog about four people who came forward to describe a pattern of bizarre and intimidating phone calls they received from block numbers that appeared to have been placed by police officers. The first victim, Paul Vogel, came forward in Street Blog's deep award-winning investigation into the NYPD's general failure to follow up on 311 service requests. In that story, Vogel of Brooklyn detailed the strange voicemails he received from block phone numbers after he filed 311 complaints. In one, a man says Vogel's name repeatedly without identifying himself. In another, the caller breathes heavily into the phone and hangs up. And in a third, the caller is creepy. Hi, Paul, begins the call from March 2nd, 2021. Just calling to see how you're doing. I thought I saw you on Vanderbilt, but I guess not. I tried to wave you down. Just want to let you know that I miss you and I hope you pick up my call next time. You're still the best I ever had. I hope you still dream about me. Love you, baby boo. Bye, Polly V. 
So this is just an aside. That's weird as hell. Yeah, definitely. The DOI report concluded that the caller who left the harassing message called from a phone number registered with the NYPD, redacted. The caller used the star 67 function before dialing Sherwood's phone number, which had the effect of concealing the caller's name. The Civilian Complaint Review Board had previously substantiated Vogel's account and blamed 15-year NYPD veteran Brendan Sullivan for placing the calls, as Street Blog reported last year. The CCRB recommended discipline against Sullivan, but an internal hearing is pending. NYPD records show Sullivan was reassigned in 2022 to the quartermaster section, where the department keeps office supplies. An NYPD source told Streets Blogs the transfer was likely a punishment, but Sullivan made $131,717 in 2022, according to city records. Sullivan did not respond to a request for comment. The second victim, Justin Sherwood, also of Brooklyn, had been anonymous in street blogs coverage until he sued the city over the NYPD's behavior, which included harassing phone calls and even a text message reading, keep fucking around, that he received mere hours after street blogs first story went up. The DOI investigation confirmed Sherwood's allegation that a detective Sturman had sent the text by tracing the IP address of a computer that, indeed, was registered to the home address of Samantha Sturman, a detective who made $141,055 last year, according to city records. Sherwood also said that Detective Sturman had called him a dickhead. The DOI report only says that she and Sherwin had exchanged obscenities. Sherwin told Streets Blog that he is satisfied with the DOI findings, but added, I'm disappointed that neither the NYPD nor Brooklyn DA have taken any disciplinary action. The police department at least claims it has not closed that door. The NYPD does not tolerate misconduct of any kind, the agency said in a statement issued by an unidentified spokesperson. The disciplinary process in regard to this incident remains ongoing. Caveat, Streets Blog had asked about both incidents. Two other New Yorkers have come forward to complain that NYPD officers harassed them after they made 311 service complaints about illegal and dangerous parking. Park Slope resident Tony Malone told Streets Blog last year that he placed a, that after he placed a 311 complaint, an unidentified man called him an hour later and said, I'm going to kill you, Malone. He received four more calls from the same man, including one threat, I'm going to fuck you and your wife. Malone said he was most disturbed by the fact that the calls were even placed given that the city claims that caller's information is confidential, but cops can see the phone numbers of complainants. A fourth victim, Chong Brition of Queens, said she received a barrage of harassing calls on six occasions from concealed phone numbers in the middle of the night after filing 311 complaints about illegal parking hours earlier. Occasionally, the callers would leave messages, one of which contained only the sound of heavy breathing. 
She told Street's blog that she believes it was officers seeking to intimidate her into no longer filing complaints. Nobody calls somebody at 3 a.m. There's just no reason to do it, she said, unless you're trying to harass somebody. In its recommendations to both City Hall and the NYPD, the Department of Investigations requested that the NYPD inform the DOI of the final disposition of these matters when its investigative and disciplinary process is complete. Strutzi, the DOI spokesperson, said the agency has followed up with the NYPD, adding, we understand this matter to be pending. City Hall did not respond to a request for comment by our deadline, but afterwards sent over this statement attributed to an unidentified spokesperson. As Mayor Adams has repeatedly said, there is a sacred covenant that officers be given the tools and support they deserve to do their job, but that they must also follow the law and be held accountable for their actions, otherwise there is no law. The NYPD does not tolerate misconduct, and while this specific disciplinary process remains ongoing, longstanding policy in the NYPD's administrative guide dictates the protocols NYPD officers are expected to follow as they interact with the public. We expect all officers to follow these guidelines whenever on duty. The NYPD has taken multiple actions to improve community relations in recent years, and they will continue to work every day to ensure justice and safety go hand in hand for all New Yorkers. The statement referred to a specific line in the NYPD's patrol guide that requires cops to quote unquote, access only those information systems to which authorization has been granted and under circumstances required in the execution of lawful duty. Uh, and in this um, article, they have a link at the end to the full Department of Investigation report. So yeah, that was a lengthy one, but I wanted to read all of those details because people need to know <laughs> that this is going on. You know, just because you're reporting that people are parking illegally, you have people in uniform calling you, threatening you, threatening your loved ones. Like, what the hell is that? Wow. Yeah, that's that's out of pocket. I mean, these are the type of stories that you don't really hear about because people feel fearful to even, you know, report this type of thing. But I would be scared out of my mind if I was being targeted like that. I mean, I think we all have some level of, um, you know, in, uh, intimidation when it comes to dealing with um uh, police enforcement at any rate now this is like heightened in a whole nother situation to consider yeah absolutely like it really drives home the point to me that you know their job as police officers is basically to i think it their purpose is to just like be an intimidating force and to make people feel afraid and to keep people in line and you know, we talked about it, I think, last week or the week before about how, like, there's zero accountability. You know, it's like if this is like it might seem like a relatively minor thing when you're comparing it to people getting shot by the police, getting beaten up by the police, being um, unlawfully arrested and things like that. But these other 
more minor, if you can even call it minor things, it's a sign of a bigger problem. Because like, why in the hell <laughs> you're getting paid six figures to do this BS? Yeah. You know, and that's the punishment. You then get like a cushy dealing with office supplies job, still making mad money that we're paying for as the taxpayers. And this is what you're doing. You know, that's- could you do this at your office job and still keep it? No, if you even type the wrong word, it's an issue. So, you know, people are so sensitive now, rightfully so for many reasons, but something like this is just over the top. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like talking about, I'm going to F you and your wife, like, huh? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, I'm surprised that the, the people involved in this, like, what can they really do besides like have it reported and. What can they really do to protect themselves from this? I don't know, man, but I I really I, I it's a it's a small story. Like it's not like it was reported in like a major paper and again, it, this was in Streets blog. So S T R E E T S B L O G. It's a smaller local outlet, but you know, these I think we talked about it last week, how like local news is so important because these little things do fly under the radar, but you should know that, you know, simple stuff, like I've called 311 about, you know, something with the trash, you know, just simple things. And like, you know, there was recently a case, a poor man in the Bronx, he called 311 specifically because he did not want police to respond because his son was having an episode. And sure enough, guess what you know already know what happened they show up and now the man is dead when the man specifically called a non-emergency number but you can't even because that's your thinking it's like oh if i call 311 i don't have to worry that the police are going to show up and you know blow stuff out of proportion or escalate the situation now we see that's not even true you know, from yeah. someone ending up dead to these people getting threatening calls, like you getting calls from the damn mafia or something because That's you reported on illegal parking. That's what they are, though. You know, the biggest gang, the biggest gang there is. And it's it's, un, it's unsettling because, it's you know, people sign up to be these suckers for these very uh, privileges, if you will, like people literally sign up to be able to treat people like shit. And it's, it's obvious that they tolerate this, they allow it. And, and in some regards, we, you know, news not being shared about things like this, they kind of provoke it and support it. So it sucks. You know, I would never want to, if I felt threatened by um, an officer, which, you know, let's face it, they don't even have to speak for you to feel threatened. They show up and you feel threatened. You know, it's just that simple. Um, what, where, where would you go? You know, how would, how would you turn or what would you do? I don't, wouldn't even know what to do um, in that case. So um, I hope that this is something that can be corrected or at least brought to a greater attention that this is happening to people because it's just scary. You know, the shit that happens on these law and orders, these television shows where they show these dirty cops doing crooked shit. Is based on reality. 
It is, and then also the flip side of it where, you know, there is so much propaganda. And, I, you know, I'm not immune to it. Like, it's so much of our popular culture, like, especially on network TV, is made up of cop shows, and it is devoted to presenting a certain image of the job and, like, that most of them are doing all this noble work. And it's like, it's a form of brainwashing. It's a form of propaganda. And I do think that all of these examples of the waste of resources that this is, let alone just the the ethical considerations, it's like, you should be furious that you're paying your tax dollars is going to this crap. And they're, they're not held accountable. Like they're getting away with stuff that you would do a whiff of that at your little meager position where you're getting paid way too little and you would be out of there yesterday. But this is allowed to go on. And it's like, I think, I think that if more of it is brought to the public's attention, like they'll understand that like when people are calling for defunding and abolishing the police, it's not some fairy tale, like whatever would we do? It's like, nah, this is a lot of what they're doing, a bunch of nonsense. And that's on top of like more aggressive, violent things. It is not where we need to be spending our resources as a community. So you know, I feel terrible for these people, but good for them for speaking out, for suing, for pushing back, because absolutely not. <sighs> yeah, I agree. Perfectly said. It's just, uh, I, I just pray for their protection in the process, because, you know, that's always the tricky part. Yeah, for sure. And like, just briefly speaking of um, the fact that the police were able to even get their numbers and all of this, uh, if you haven't seen it, there's um, a documentary that came out on HBO. It's called The Curious Case of the Cannibal Cop. And I remember the news story when it came out and it was a, I believe it was a New York City officer. Maybe it was a different city, but he had been exposed because he was in these chat rooms talking about like fantasizing about being a cannibal, like eating women. And he was also using his ability as a police officer to look up rant, like women's addresses and numbers. And the documentary is, you know, about like he got in trouble for, I don't know if he went to jail, but basically ethical questions about like, well, he didn't actually kill someone or like he didn't actually, he was just writing about wanting to do these things. So the question of like, at what point do you intervene when someone hasn't actually done something? But it's like the fact that he was accessing their details where he could have just shown up to their house, that, is, that alone is a violation You know, it's like, it makes you think, you know, do you want to have this group of people with, again, no accountability, they do all types of mess and get away with it. They have so much power to just access all of your stuff if they want to on a whim for whatever reason. And it is very spooky because you never know like what they might do. And they know that they have that over you. So think about where your money is going and take these calls to take those resources away seriously because it's truly a waste. Absolutely. 
All right, and on that note, uh, we are going to go to our first musical break. Um, today, the day that we're recording is April the 1st. It is Gil Scott Heron's birthday. He was born in Chicago, Illinois on this day in 1949. And this is one of his most famous songs, a precursor for what we call hip hop or rap right now. This is The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 District. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Woman Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our world news story. 
Thank you. So this story comes from an article on The Guardian um, by way of Associated Press in Karachi, Karachi, which is where this um, incident actually happened. I don't see the title or the author just now, but I'll try to find it. Um, the, the title is reading Eight Arrested in Pakistan After Crush at Free Food Point Kills 12. And here's the article. Pakistani police have arrested eight people in the southern port city of Karachi after a crush killed 12 people at a Ramadan food and cash distribution point a day earlier. Hundreds of women and children rushed to collect free food and cash outside a factory in an industrial area of the city on Friday. Business owners during the Islamic holy month often hand out cash and food, especially to poorer people. An initial report from the police said nine women aged between 40 and 80 and three children aged between 10 and 15 had died in the crush. Police said eight arrests included the factory manager who had not told local authorities about the Ramadan almsgiving. Factory management did not open the inside gate of the factory and due to the narrow street, the people in the tail of end of the line pushed elderly women and children. The superintendent of police investigations told the media during a visit to the site. As a result, pressure increased enormously and women and children became the victims of a stampede. Police said they had issued the publicized and publicized an order saying that any person or organization planning to distribute food or other things must inform authorities in advance. The chief minister of Sindhi province, where Karachi is located, announced compensation for people injured in the crush and relatives of the victims. Murad Ali Shah said each family who had lost a loved one would receive 500,000 rupees, while everyone injured would receive 100,000 rupees. Funerals were held on Saturday for some of the deceased. At least 23 people have died in Ramadan food crushes since the start of the holy month. On Saturday, police fired tear gas at crowds who gathered to receive free flower bags in the northwestern city of Peshawar. Cash-strapped Pakistan launched an initiative to distribute free flour among low-income families to ease the impact of record-breaking inflation and soaring poverty during the holy month. While Friday's crush was not part of the government program, crowds have swelled at the distribution centers in recent days. The free flour distribution initiative was launched by Pakistan's Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif. His coalition government is facing the country's worst economic crisis amid a delay in getting the key 1.1 billion tranche of a 6 billion bailout package originally signed in 2019 with the International Monetary Fund. Weekly inflation is 45% unseen since Pakistan gained independence from British colonial rule in 1947. Rising food costs and soaring fuel bills have raised fears of public unrest. Neither Sharif nor the Pakistani president, Arif Avi, have commented on the crush. So that is the story. Um, definitely so sad and unfortunate. Um, just all parts of this story. One, that these business owners are offering um, handouts, if you will, and support to the community during the holy month as so be it, as we see happen in a lot of different spiritual ceremonies across the world. Um, the fact that the people are swelling to re ridiculous amounts for just a little bit of help um, raises a larger issue of what's really going on in that economy. The fact that they are arresting 
uh, people who are giving out these things because they didn't follow a protocol, which I guess would could have prevent this from happening, is interesting to consider. And then on top of that, there's still people in the streets waiting for this help in the midst of all of this crisis. It's just, it's, it's, it's awful. Oh my God. Yeah. I had not heard of this story, but definitely very, very sad, you know, cause it's supposed to be a month of, you know, faith and reflection and, you know, at some points being able to celebrate when you break the fast with your loved ones and for this to happen at that time is just, it's really heartbreaking. I don't know how long they will be in jail or if they'll end up in prison over this or what, but it's just really, really a sad situation. Yeah. And, and the fact that I've read a couple of articles about um, this time and, you know, this is just one incident that, that has happened in a story, a uh, similar article on Al Jazeera. It says that um, 21 people have died since last week. So this is not just this one um, incident, this is something that is happening throughout the country during this time. Um, And it's really sad because the reality is the business owners must have had a reason for not um, telling the authorities. You know, there has to be a reason why they didn't do that. I don't know if it because they would tax them or charge them or, um, you know, try to regulate what they're doing, if they don't want them to know if they're giving cash assistance for whatever purposes, you know, it doesn't seem that they would do something to harm people in an instance where they're trying to help people. You know, as you said, I don't see a reason for that other than they either don't trust the authorities or they have a reason, you know, for trying to keep a low profile. Um, But, you know, I just keep imagining every day, having to go out and look for these places where you can get what you need to take care of your family. Um, it's, it's really sad and destitute that, that the situations in that country, for whatever reasons, I'm sure there are plenty, are to this point. You know, I think a lot of times we get really humbled when we talk about these international stories um, because it's hard to put ourselves in that place. But, you know, it's arguably going around, you know, the world. And I know it's difficult now um, for people all over the world, but this is, you know, in a case of extremity and it's, you know, it's disheartening to know that I guess someone needs to be held accountable for what's happening, but is this the right form of, uh, is this right? Is this the right way to regulate? Or, you know, I would be interested to hear what happens to the man who was arrested and the others who were arrested for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just really sad to think of dire constraints on that point. And the fact that they had this, you know, uh, bailout from the International Monetary Fund from 2019. And here it is five years has passed and they have only received a portion of that money. I always wonder what the filtering is um, when things like that happen as well, because that's clearly an issue. Yeah. And like I, the other thing I was going to say is just like, you know, I'm not Pakistani, but like from what I do understand, you know, in that region of the world and in a lot of Islamic communities and in, in a lot of parts of the world, like hospitality and extending yourself to feed the hungry is very important or like taking care of your guests and being hospitable is a really important part of the culture. And to see 
you know, conditions getting to the point where people are so desperate and just hard up that they can't fulfill that like obligation or that cultural norm is really, it's devastating, you know, and I, I, I could see how, you know, people are just trying to do the right thing or like what they have always done their whole life, but it's getting increasingly difficult to fulfill that responsibility or that obligation or like that desire to help the less fortunate because you're becoming less and less fortunate yourself, you know, and it's, it's devastating. Like, I don't really think that, um, we talked about like the really bad flooding that happened in Pakistan, um, Mm -hmm. not that long ago. And it is one of the parts of the world that is bearing the brunt of like climate change and what's happening with food supplies and crops and stuff globally, you know, even though they're contributing the least to climate change, like they're the ones that are you know, reaping what we're sowing in the Western world with our wastefulness and our habits and overconsumption and everything else is leading to these really out of whack situations and parts of the world where they're not wasteful. You know, they're not everyone driving a giant car gas guzzling, but they're the ones that are now starving because of it, you know, so that's the root of the problem. And until we really get to that, it just feels like we're going to keep seeing these stories. Yeah. And I just want to encourage everyone to, you know, be mindful of your fellow man, woman, and child that is, you know, probably lives two blocks over from you. Um, If there is a way for you to contribute, sometimes it's not monetary. Sometimes it's just your day, your service, your ability to, help at a soup kitchen or help at, you know, a place that does distribution after school center. There's always a little something more that we can do. Um, I think we're all being really, really stretched at this point um, in time. But when you really think about it, it's no different than people who have gone before us. It's just a different time. And I think we've gotten so far away from community that we don't know what it looks like if we can't make these major contributions And the reality is small contributions, you know, this is probably neither here nor there, but if that was happening in one of our communities, just having more hands on deck could have maybe changed the outcome at some point or, you know, something like that, some sort of coalition of the businesses surrounding the space to make it a safe way. You know, sometimes it's the little things, you know, just having bodies, having willing spirits and people that will do things to help one another. Or like being able to bring stuff like because I'm thinking they're talking about like older women being pushed down. You know, it's like if you know that you have a neighbor that can't really get around or something like you're saying, just more people who are able to like bringing it to the person that can't really walk that fat, you know, so they're not in that position. Exactly. But, you know, maybe that was tried and it just wasn't enough. I don't know. But yeah, but just something to consider if there's something you can do. You know, if you have elderly people in your building or you see them, you know, I often think about the t- time when I was injured and I struggled to walk and get on the bus to go to work and everything. And I was just thinking to myself, man, I, I was so humbled um, in that moment. So you know, prayers up for the people who have lost people in Pakistan and everyone um, within that community and that country. I just hope that a resolution can be found um, so that the people who need the help and the people who want to give the help can connect 
the way they need to. Yeah. And, you know, being in New York City and like Greece, you're in a major city as well. Um, We've said it before when we've talked about uh, conditions in Haiti, but, you know, there's very large um, immigrant populations like in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's like Pakistani American Association. So it, it is worth it to, you know, look up local groups in your area that you know, where you can connect more directly with people that might have relatives that they can help more directly. Cause sometimes with these bigger charities, you don't really know what's going on, mm-hmm. but you might be able to reach out to someone that, you know, personally, or someone that's in the community that has more of a direct link or like way of helping people more directly than, you know, some of these bigger groups where it's kind of like, you just are kind of on a wing and a prayer that is going to where it's, they say it's going, but right. who can really say. Exactly. So, yeah, that's it, yeah. people. It's a sad one. Yeah, very sad. Um, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, for our next musical break, this is a song by Sounds of Blackness, and this song is Optimistic. We'll be right back. Listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer. Please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now I will be giving you the national news story. And it's one that I am not happy about. Uh, This is from the Associated Press by Seung Min Kim and Lisa Mascaro. Biden won't veto Republican-led bill ending COVID emergency. 
President Joe Biden won't veto a Republican-led measure to end the national COVID emergency, despite having expressed strong objections against it earlier this year, ensuring the bill is on an easy path to becoming law. It marks the second time in the new Congress that the Biden administration has signaled opposition to a Republican measure, rallying most Democrats in Congress to vote against it, only to soften its stance and let the legislation eventually become law. Just weeks ago, Biden stunned many fellow Democrats when he declined to veto a Republican-led bill to upend a new criminal code for the District of Columbia he and others in the president's party opposed, allowing the GOP's tough-on-crime push into the local government to become law. Republicans celebrated the turn of events Wednesday as a sign of their newfound influence in divided Washington, while Democrats quietly complained that the Biden administration had shifted its views. But the White House stood firm and the Senate gave final approval 68 to 23, sending the bill to Biden's desk. A White House official said that when the House Republicans were first preparing to vote on the bill at the start of the year, it would have lifted the national emergency declaration for the coronavirus pandemic in February. But now it's much closer to the White House's own plan to wind down COVID national emergency status on May 11th. The president still strongly opposes the, the legislation, said the official, who was granted anonymity to discuss the situation. But if this bill comes to Biden's desk, he will sign it, the official said. Ahead of voting, Senator Roger Marshall, a Kansas Republican, one of the bill's main sponsors, said he hoped that the rumors are true, that the president will finally sign this legislation. The legislation is a simple one-line measure saying that the national emergency declared on March 13, 2020 is hereby terminated. It, it comes from one of the more conservative Republicans in the House, Rep. Paul Gosar of Arizona, and draws on Republican-led opposition to mass mandates, lockdowns, and other precautions that were put in place to stem the spread of the virus during the pandemic. It was among the early bills the new House GOP put forward at the start of the year. At the time, the administration warned the proposal would cause chaos. More than 197 Democrats in the House voted against it. An abrupt end to the emergency declarations would create wide-ranging chaos and uncertainty throughout the healthcare system. For states, for hospitals and doctors' offices, and most importantly, for tens of millions of Americans, the, ad the administration said in a formal statement of administrative policy. In the days leading up to the House vote, the Biden administration announced its own plan to wind down emergency status on May 11th, three years after the virus outbreak. The administration's announcement meant the federal coronavirus response would be treated more as an endemic threat to public health that could be managed through agencies' normal authorities rather than pandemic status. Just a few weeks ago, Biden signed another Republican-led bill into law that would nullify the District of Columbia's revamp of its criminal code. The administration had previously said it opposed that bill.
on Wednesday, Republicans on the House Oversight Committee voted to overturn a police reform package passed by the DC Council. Uh, and just um, to give people a bit of an idea of what is at risk now that the emergency declaration is on track to be ended prematurely or early, um, it can mean losing access to free COVID tests. Many are going to then need to pay a copay or just not get a test. Uh, millions will lose their health care via Medicaid. Um, they'll be disenrolled and have to reapply, and many are going to fall through the cracks. The Kaiser Family Foundation estimates that at least 13% of people on Medicaid will be kicked off, and states will no longer be required to share information with the CDC. Um, so according to ABC News, um, with states not having to share that information, the result could be a cloudier picture of the pandemic, including less insight into possible infection surges and slower responses from health officials. It means that we won't be able to track simple things like hospital capacity, uh, Dr. Chin Hong said. So there'll be less ability to sound the alarm before the storm comes, essentially. Schaffner, the professor, a professor of preventive medicine, said that the end of the emergency measures will signal to the public that the pandemic is over when infections and deaths continue. Um, and I just, I also wanted to read something that is from the National Vital Statistics System. So that is, um, it's the national system that provides data on births and deaths in the United States. Uh, you can find this on the CDC's website. Uh, they recently updated in February how they certified deaths related to COVID. Um, and this is one paragraph from their updated guidance. In the acute phase, so meaning like right when you get COVID, Clinical manifestations and complications of COVID-19 of varying degrees have been documented, including death. However, patients who recover from the acute phase of the infection can still suffer long-term effects. Post-acute sequelae of COVID-19, or PASC, commonly referred to as long COVID, refers to the long-term symptoms, signs, and complications experienced by some patients who have recovered from the acute phase of COVID-19. Emerging, uh, emerging evidence suggests that severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, can have lasting effects on nearly every organ and organ system of the body weeks, months, and potentially years after infection. Documented serious post-COVID-19 conditions include cardiovascular, pulmonary, meaning your lungs, neurological, renal, meaning your kidneys, endocrine, hematological, so affecting your blood, and gastrointestinal complications, as well as death. Um, so I wanted to say that because I really do not think the general public is aware of it in the midst of so many other signs around us to say that the pandemic is over or it's not with us. Like it very much still is. So 
Oh, my goodness. And to think most of the world has been affected by this thing that will have long-term effects forever, it seems like. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very scary. I, you know, I don't want to be um, spit conspiracy theories, but I feel like after the experience we all went through, the sort of like non-attention to these things that'll happen with this, um, it is scary to think that I feel like we're not, there's no protections out there. <laughs> I feel like anything could happen. And so many people will lose their healthcare, which is horrible, especially now um, that things are just astronomically high. It's just crazy. There's so many more things that are going on right now that people really need access to care for, uh, especially within the mental health community. So I definitely think, um, yeah, this is scary. It's, it's disheartening. It really is. And I, I have to say, it's very disappointing that a lot of people who, you know, if it were the freshly indicted former president doing the exact same thing, they would be up in arms because, you know, when he was saying things like, if you just don't test people, there's no pandemic. Everyone understood that that was absurd, that you can't just stop counting something and say it doesn't exist. Like you have to, you know, what's that James Baldwin quote? Like not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. If you're putting your head in the sand and just pretending like something isn't happening, that is not the same as tackling it. And this dismantling of free tests, not having support that you can stay home when you're sick across the board, because many people still don't have that benefit. There's no free masks for anyone that are being given out by the government or any guidance on that. It, you've had, you have too many people on the right and also in the center and way too many people on the quote unquote left and progressive side who have completely given into this fantasy that you can just pretend something isn't happening and that means it's gone away. And I'm not completely hopeless. Like I do what I can, like as far as advocacy and pushing for masking and telling people, you know, sharing information like I do on this show on social media, but Sometimes it's like, you know, he who won't hear must feel. And I think we're going to have to just get to the point where it can no longer be ignored before we see bigger actions. But, you know, we're going through a pretty dark place right now where it's like, let's just have everybody pretending like it's 2018 when it very clearly is not. That's interesting what you said, too, about the difference presidents and the responses that um, that they would evoke with this sort of decision. Um, definitely something to think about. And I feel like we're in some weird-ass twilight zone with this administration that was intentional. That was intentional. Okay? Yeah. And don't be fooled. Like, everybody was all excited to get the orange man out. But in the same context, like, this dude know what he's doing. He's been in government and he's a lifelong governmenteer. So it's interesting mm -hmm. that he's flying under the radar with shit like this. That's really important and impactful, which was he had a whole different stance when he was campaigning. We all know that. Oh, yeah. Those tweets are still up. 
Like he was going to do this, that, and the third. And now look, you know, all this money still going to police departments. You know, look at what's happened with abortion rights under his watch. The yep. pandemic, it, like more people have died at this point under him than they did under the last president. You know, it's a lot of ir- grossly irresponsible decisions, gross lack of leadership, and it starts from the top because people look to what you're doing and that dictates what they're doing at the workplace and their social life, all of that. And it's, you know, I just urge everybody listening, you might feel like you're in the minority, but you're not alone. Mask up stay home, like as far as you're able, continue to test regularly. This thing is not over. And it's not just about how you feel when you're first sick. It is shown definitively to have long-term impacts that you might not connect to COVID, but it is tied to that. Because, you know, it's all about money with these people, whether it's red, blue, whatever, they just care about you spending your money going about like everything's fine. You know, if if the short-term profits are good, that's all that they really care about. So you got to look beyond what they're saying and, like, read between the lines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you got some good news for us, Reese? I have a little touching story. I think that we need some love <laughs> at the end of this show, which we often do. Um, this article is on a website called sunnyskies.com. <laughs> And um, let's see, I don't see an author just of yet, but this is a cute little story. The title of the article is Man Purchases Apartment Complex After Agreeing to Unusual Condition. The owner of a property management company in New York has become the unlikely guardian of a 93-year-old woman. Rock Sajanovich recently made a deal to buy his first apartment building in upstate New York. The deal, however, came with an unusual condition. He confessed to Fox News in an interview that he was actually outbid by someone else that was paying $100,000 more for the property. However, the owner told him that if he would take $50,000 off the price if he agreed to a specific term, he had to take care of a 93-year-old resident named Alice Schumann. He took a $50,000 haircut to make this woman be, wait, he took a $50,000 haircut to make sure this woman is being taken care of, he said. Chajanovich happily agreed to the terms and purchased the property. Eventually, he learned that the former property owner, who was looking to retire, had been escorting Alice to the bank, to the doctor, and to the grocery store. He also only charged her $200 a month for rent, while the same units in the building were going around for $2,000. For over 60 years, Alice had been living there, and the previous owner never had the heart to raise her rent, Yovanovitch said. No, neither did he. He charged Alice only $200 for rent, and he helped her with all of her errands. A few months later, Alice had to be taken to the hospital for a medical emergency, and and the staff deemed that Alice was unfit to take care of herself. Since she didn't have any living relatives or friends, she was going to have to be put into the state's care. Fearing she would not receive the best care, Chajanovich got a lawyer and became her legal guardian. I was visiting her every day. They actually had a joke on the floor that she had a young boyfriend, and I'd bring her food and I'd bring her flowers. He kept her apartment empty for nearly a year while she was in the hospital, hoping that she'd return home. In January, Alice passed away from pneumonia. 
Shabanovich and his mother were there, right by her side, holding her hands. So that is... I know! I was just like, oh my goodness. Um, You know, I my grandmother passed away when I was young, so I definitely have an affinity for the elderly that is different, I think, than the average person. I, I love spending time with older people, and I love to make them laugh and do nice things for them. Um, and so this one really appealed to my heart. But, you know, the kindness of strangers sometimes is, is it can't be measured until they're in the moment to see what they would do. Rest in peace to Miss Alice. And shout out to this, you know, good man up here buying property and taking care of people. <laughs> and so we've done a show, an April Fool's yeah. Day show. No jokes here. <laughs> No jokes. And I also I would like to send a birthday shout out to my grandmother. Oh. So happy birthday, Grandma. I love you very much. Like I know you'll be celebrating all month because you've earned the right. <laughs> That's right, as you should. Happy birthday, Miss. Yeah. And um for our last song, since it is Aries season, we have another track by a legendary Aries. This is Jill Scott getting in the way live. You know, we got some of that fire sign energy in this track. Don't get in our way. Okay, we coming through. She is turning 50 on April 4th, Miss Jill Scott. So shout out to Jilly from Philly. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, y'all. Stay safe out there. Sister girl, I know you don't understand, but you're going to have to understand. He's my man now. What you had is gone. I think it's sweet. I think it's stronger than any lie you can tell on me. He knows my heart. And that's the part your roots are dug up, so you might as well give up. I see your intention, can't handle the truth. He let you go a long time ago, now it's time to turn him loose.